Uh, this morning, I want to uh, talk to you about, I have a message that I've entitled, What is That to You? And our anchor passage is from John chapter 21, verses 22. It says, Jesus said to him, and Peter is who he's speaking to, if it is my will that he remain until I come, what is that to you? Follow me. Let's pray. Lord, we just thank you so much for allowing us to be here today, Lord. I just ask that your words are heard this morning and not mine. I hope that uh, they'll go out and just uh, change our hearts, uh, change our minds, just draw us closer to you, Lord. We love you. We thank you for sending your son to die for us, Lord. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. So we're jumping into a pretty intense conversation here between Peter and Jesus after he has been resurrected. And the reason I chose this particular passage is because I believe it's a pivotal moment in this conversation, uh, but perhaps even a pivotal moment in the ministry of Peter as a whole. So I want to dig a little deeper into this conversation and some of the things that are going on, but I want to approach it a little bit differently. Uh, when I was uh, when I first started college, uh, I had to take some elective classes. And so I had to pick something. So I picked intro to theater. Um, so and it, was, it was a fun class, a little weird at times, but uh, mostly I just had to go to plays and write about uh, what, they, uh, what they meant to me and that kind of thing. Uh, but I remember one of the classes that uh, I took, one of the lessons that we had that we talked about how all plays, books, movies, uh, really stories of all kinds, uh, either real or fictional, uh, they would fall into uh, just one of a few different genres. And I can't remember what all the genres were, but the one that stuck out to me in particular was this coming of age genre. And in this genre, uh, the main character, they would start off in one place, and by the time the story was over, they were almost a completely different person. Person. By all the struggles, the setbacks, the victories that they may have had during that time, they began to learn about themselves. They began to learn about those around them. And uh, they just, you saw this transition throughout this story. It's always been my favorite genre. So kind of in the spirit of that genre today, I want to talk about Peter's coming of age story. And so, of course, Peter was real. He wasn't a fictional character, as some people would uh, want you to believe about the stories in the Bible. Uh, these experiences were documented. They really happened. Uh, they were recorded for a purpose, uh, just like the other folks in the Bible that we read about. And uh, they're, they're there for us to learn from. And so maybe some of you are like me, and you could really relate to Peter. So now David, I, can, I get encouragement from David because I can look and think about, uh, you know, if I mess up really, really bad, the Lord's still going to love me. The Lord's still going to take me back and, uh, through forgiveness uh, and just repentance. Then I can restore that relationship. Uh, not that the relationship was lost, but restore that joy of that relationship. But when I read about Peter... I, sometimes I feel like I know him, like I'm that guy, that guy that really loves Jesus. I'm not afraid to talk to others about Jesus. Sometimes I'm on fire for the Lord, but three minutes later, I'm saying or doing something really stupid, All right? Like, like I'm denying that Jesus even exists. I'm cutting off somebody's ear because I'm angry. Uh, I'm sitting at the cool kids table and not letting others sit with me. All these things are what Peter did but Jesus still told him that you are going to be instrumental in building my church. If there's hope for this guy, there's got to be hope for me, right? 
So I find great encouragement through the story of Peter. So I want to take a moment this morning to examine some highlights, some lowlights in Peter's coming-of-age story. And hopefully by the time we're done today, uh, we can make an honest assessment of our own coming-of-age story and see where we are and maybe where we ought to be by this time on our journey. So I think the best place to start is the beginning, right? We're going to start at the beginning at Peter's calling. So all four Gospels document uh, what happened here. We're going to go with Luke, though, chapter 5, starting with verse 4. It says, when he had finished speaking, he said to Simon, Simon, which is Peter or Cephas, the different names are used throughout the New Testament, but same person. Launch out into the deep and let down your nets for a catch. Simon answered him, Master, we have worked all night and have caught nothing, but at your word I will let down the net. When they had done this, they caught a great number of fish and their net was tearing. So they signaled to their partners in the other boat to come and help them. And they came and filled both boats so that they began to sink. When Simon Peter saw it, he fell down at Jesus' knees, saying, Depart from me, for I am a sinful man, O Lord. For he and all who were with him were astonished at the catch of fish which they had taken. And so were James and John, the sons of Zebedee, who were partners with Simon. Then Jesus said to Simon, Do not fear. From now on you will catch men. So when they had brought their boats to land, they left everything and followed him. So Jesus extended an invitation to Peter, and Peter took him up on that invitation. So I want to hop over to another passage just to kind of look at a similar invitation that Jesus extended to another person, but a very different response. It's in Matthew chapter 19. We'll start with verse 16. Now one came and said to him, Good teacher, what good deed shall I do to have eternal life? He replied to him, why do you call me good? There is one who is good, but if you would enter life, keep the commandments. He said to him, which ones? Jesus said, you shall not murder, you shall not commit adultery, you shall not steal, you shall not bear false witness. Honor your father and your mother, and you shall love your neighbor as yourself. The young man said to him, all these I have kept from my youth. What do I still lack? And Jesus said to him, if you would be perfect, go and sell what you have and give to the poor, and you will have treasure in heaven, and come follow me. But when the young man heard this, he went away sorrowful, for he had great possessions. An invitation was extended but the response was completely different. Now, I think in this, in this passage with Peter, I think this is where he was saved. I think this is where he accepted Christ. He believed what his brother had told him and what Jesus confirmed, that this is, in fact, the Messiah. Andrew literally led his brother to Christ. Uh, he was told about Jesus. He heard about the words of the son. He heard the words of the Son of God. He was convicted, and he responded in brokenness to the only one who could save him. So the question I have for you this morning is: Have you accepted your calling? For us, it's a little bit different. We don't have Jesus here physically with us, but it still works the same. It's still by faith. It's still by hearing. If you look in Romans chapter 10, verse, uh, starting with verse 8, it says, But what does it say? The word is near you, 
in your mouth and in your heart. This is the word of faith that we preach, that if you confess with your mouth Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God has raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For with the heart one believes unto righteousness, and with the mouth confession is made unto salvation. For the scripture says, whoever believes in him shall not be ashamed, for there is no distinction between Jew or Greek, for the same Lord over all is generous toward all who call upon him. For everyone who calls upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. And we are convicted for, for sin, for our sin, by the Holy Spirit. In John chapter 16, verse 8 and 9, it says, When he comes, speaking of the Spirit, he will convict the world of sin and righteousness and of judgment of sin because they do not believe in me. Now, I don't have to pray for the Spirit to convict people of their sin. He's already promised to do that in his word. And I know we pray that prayer sometimes, and that's okay. Uh, we're showing that we have a heart uh, for the lost and for those to come to the Lord. But what I really think we mean, or what we should mean, is that we want the lost to respond to the calling of the Holy Spirit. And today, you may be asking, am I being called? I'm just not sure. Well, let me clear it up for you. The answer is yes. The word has been and is being presented and the Holy Spirit promises to convict. So your question that you have to answer is, will you respond like Peter responded or will you respond like the rich young ruler? This was the beginning of Peter's journey and this could be the beginning of your journey. But at the beginning, we make plans to go forward, and with even the best laid plans, there's always a setback. Who's planned a family vacation? Anyone? Has anyone had it go down perfectly? Nothing ever go wrong. And it's a lot of giggling. I know. Something always, always goes wrong because we are flawed, sinful, ignorant, naive humans. Something always goes sideways when it's our plan. The same thing happened to Peter here. Now, he had some ups and downs along the way, and I'm sure being in the traveling crew uh, with Jesus, there was a lot of adventure. Uh, Aside from the amazing events that were recorded, I know there were several more. John actually said that there were more than could even be contained in the scrolls if they filled the world. So we know that there were a lot of things that went on around Jesus' ministry. Peter and the other disciples were still flawed, sinful men and would be until God fixed that for them in eternity. So we know that there must have been multiple setbacks of varying degrees, but towards the end of Peter's time on earth with Christ, he hit a major setback. And most of you probably know what this situation is, but I'm going to kind of set this up for you, let you know what's going on. The disciples are gathered for the Last Supper with Jesus. Jesus has just spoken to them about the wine and the bread and his body and his blood and how he was about to leave them and how one of them was about to betray him. And so there were at least two conversations going on at the same time at this table. One was concerning who's going to betray Christ. The other was about who will be the greatest in the kingdom of heaven. So have you ever been to that family dinner? Not like family dinner at home with just like your immediate family, but like cousins, aunts, uncles. You're all at the same table. There's like 27 conversations going on at once. Everybody's kind of interjecting and jumping in and out. And it just, it's really craziness. It's madness. 
And now I always pictured the Last Supper as being like real somber and, and, and real reverent. And, and I'm sure there were parts of it that were definitely like that. But I don't think this was one of those parts. There was a lot going on in conversation at this time. And in the midst of all this craziness, Jesus drops a bomb on Peter. Okay? In, in Luke 22, starting with verse 31, he says, Then the Lord said, Simon, Simon, listen. Satan has demanded to have you to sift as wheat. How would you like for Jesus to tell that to you? Um, but I have prayed for you and your faith may not, that your faith may not fail. And when you have repented, strengthen your brothers. He said to him, Lord, I am ready to go with you to prison and to death. He said, I tell you, Peter, before the rooster crows today, you will deny three times that you know me. And does this remind you of someone? Does the, does the name Job ring a bell? And so I don't, I don't know if Peter was kind of had flashbacks or remembered the story of Job. I'm sure he had read before. Or if he was just so sure of himself that he completely disregarded this example that had been given to him in Scripture. You know, Jesus knew what was about to happen. He saw it all the way through. He said, after you have repented... Strengthen your brother. So he knew that Peter was going to go through this. He was going to deny him. He was going to repent. He knew the outcome. But Peter just would not accept it. Jesus, I'm ready to go to prison for you. I'm ready to die for you. How ironic that Peter's ready to die for Jesus. And then this happens. Luke chapter 22, starting with verse 54, it says, Then they arrested him and led him away and brought him into the high priest's house. Peter followed at a distance. But when they had kindled a fire in the middle of the courtyard and sat down together, Peter sat among them. Then a servant girl saw him as he sat near the fire and gazed at him and said, This man was with him. But he denied him, saying, Woman, I do not know him. A little later, someone else saw him and said, You are one of them. Or you also are one of them. Peter said, Man, I am not. About an hour later, another man firmly declared, certainly this man also was with him, for he is a Galilean. Peter said, man, I do not know what you are saying. Immediately, while he was yet speaking, the rooster crowed. The Lord turned and looked at Peter. Then Peter remembered the word of the Lord, how he had told him before the rooster crows, you will deny me three times. And Peter went outside and wept bitterly. This was a major, major setback in Peter's walk with Christ. A setback that could have, he could have allowed it to destroy his walk going forward. I've seen less things happen to Christians that have, have destroyed their walk, have, have sent them in a complete different direction, less things than this. But Peter didn't allow that to happen. There's, he wasn't the only one either. If you remember, Abraham had setbacks, Moses had setbacks, David had setbacks. Uh, many great men and women of faith have had setbacks. Paul struggled daily with setbacks. We look in Romans chapter 7, starting with verse 15. He says, For what I am doing I do not understand, for I do not practice what I will to do, but I do the very thing I hate. But if I practice what I do not will to do, I agree to, with the law that it is good. So now it is no longer that I do it, but sin that dwells in me. 
For I know that in me, that is in my flesh, dwells no good thing. For the will to do what is right is present with me. But how to perform what is good I do not find. For the good I desire to do I do not do. But the evil I do not want is what I do. For if I do what I do not want, it is no longer I who does it, but sin that lives in me. Does that sound like someone that's struggling with some sin and some setbacks in their life? Of course it does. But us, me, I would never have that kind of setback, right? I would never deny Christ. You know, how many of you said, I'll never do that? I really don't like to say I'll never do anything because it usually ends up that I do that exact thing that I said I would never do, right? So when we look here, we may may not deny Christ with our words. Like we we may not physically say, I don't believe in God. I don't be, I'm not with this guy. But when we do things that push others away, when we say things that push others away from Christ instead of pointing them towards him, we deny him with our actions. So we do the same thing that Peter did. I don't want to stop and just clarify real quick. Whenever I'm talking about uh, setbacks or backsliding or whatever word you want to use for it, I want to clarify that we don't lose our salvation. That is secure 100%. I'm talking about losing your fellowship, your relationship. Uh, Romans 8, 38, 39 says, I'm persuaded that neither death nor life nor angels nor principalities nor powers nor things present nor things to come nor height nor depth nor any other created thing shall be able to separate us from the love of God which is in Christ Jesus our Lord. There is nothing in this world, in this creation, in anywhere that is more powerful than the work of Jesus on the cross. So we cannot lose that relationship that we have, but we can break our fellowship with our Heavenly Father. And that's what has happened to Peter here. There is reconciliation ultimately and completely through Christ. But when our fellowship is broken, we need to be restored. And that's what Peter needed. So if you remember back in in Matthew 26, Jesus says, I'm going to meet you in Galilee after I have risen. So we find him meeting with his disciples for the third time, this time by the Sea of Galilee with some beachside breakfast. How would you like to have breakfast with Jesus on the beach? How amazing, how amazing would that be? Here Jesus takes a moment to have a one-on-one with Peter, much like he had a one-on-one with him at the Last Supper. It's John 21, starting with verse 15. It says, So when they had eaten breakfast, Jesus said to Simon Peter, Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? He said to him, Yes, Lord, you know that I love you. He said to him, Feed my lambs. He said to him again a second time, Simon, son of John, do you love me? He said to him, yes, Lord, you know I love you. He said to him, tend my sheep. He said to him a third time, Simon, son of John, do you love me? Peter was grieved because he had asked him the third time, do you love me? He said to him, Lord, you know everything. You know that I love you. Jesus said to him, feed my sheep. Truly, truly, I say to you, when you were young, you dressed yourself and walked where you desired. But when you are old, you will stretch out your hands and another will dress you and carry you where you don't want, you do not want to go. He said this signifying by what kind of death he would glorify God. When he had said this, he said to him, follow me. 
Now, I want to look at a few things in this passage. In particular, there are varying opinions on what these means, who Jesus is referring to when he says these. Now, I think the most important part of the question is, do you love me more? But I believe that these is referring to the other disciples. Not that Jesus is asking if, uh, if Peter really loves him more than the other disciples love him. But if you look back in Matthew's account of Jesus predicting Peter's denial, Jesus tells the disciples that all of you will be made to stumble before, because of me this night. To which Peter replies, even if all are made to stumble because of you, I will never be made to stumble. After this, he informs him of the three denials, his pending denials that he will do. Peter responds passionately, even if I have to die with you, I will not deny you. Now we know how that panned out. Peter denied him. The rooster crowed. Jesus died. Jesus rose from the dead. And now they are sitting together on the beach having breakfast. And Jesus says, do you love me more than these? Now, before we continue, uh, we're going to get to this pivotal moment uh, here in just a second. But uh, So stick with me. But I want to look at the particular language used in this exchange between Christ and Peter. So in, in the Greek language, there are four words that are used for love. It's eros, storge, phileos, and agape. If you're a Greek scholar, I apologize for the pronunciations uh, now. So eros is like romantic love between a husband and a wife. Storge is like love between family, like a, a father, son, parent, child, sibling. And then you have phileos, which is like a deep, deep friendship, a brotherly love, like the young people would say, like a BFF. Right, that's what phileos is. And then agape is sacrificial self-giving. I will die for you. Love, the love that is best used to describe Christ's love for us. So with that quick, Greece, that quick Greek lesson in mind, two of these words are used in this passage, phileos and agape. So if we look back at this exchange between Jesus and Peter, Jesus says, do you agape me more than these? Peter says, Lord, you know I phileos you. And Jesus says, prove it. Feed my lambs. Peter, do you sacrificially self-giving, I would die for you, love me. Lord, you know I deeply love you like a brother. Well, then prove it to me. Tend my sheep, take care of them. Jesus asked one more time, Peter, do you phileos love me? Do you love me deeply like a brother? And at this point, Scripture says that Peter is grieved. He's not mad. He's not irritated. He's heartbroken. No doubt remembering the three denials that he had given to Christ, having that in mind. And maybe he was beginning to realize where this conversation was going. Jesus was lovingly exposing his failures, his pride, his self-righteousness, and giving him the opportunity to be restored. And I don't know why Peter wouldn't say that I agape love you. You know, maybe he recalled the time that he said I would die for you and then that very same day he denied him. Maybe he didn't want to say those words and then have to face that failure later on. It was just a fear of failure. Maybe that was the case. But Peter said, God, you know my heart. You know I love you. And he did know his heart. He told Peter what Peter couldn't say. He said, you will die for me. You will prove that agape love. 
Then Jesus simply ended the exchange the same way he started with Peter three years earlier on the Sea of Galilee, asking him to follow me. Peter was restored. He was forgiven. He had closure. He could move on in service to the Lord. But this is Peter we're talking about. How does Peter ruin this moment? Listen to this. John 21, verse 20 says, Peter turned and saw following them the disciple whom Jesus loved, which is John, who also leaned against his bosom at the supper and had said, Lord, who is it that is going to betray you? When Peter saw him, he said to Jesus, Lord, what about this man? Jesus said to him, if it is my will that he remain until I come, what is that to you? Follow me. Peter said, but what about John? You ever have the moms, dads, you have the kids in the back seat, you tell them to do something. Well, what about so-and-so? She doesn't have to do this. What's your, what's your response? You mind your business. You do what I told you to do. And that's what Jesus is telling Peter here. As, as adults, do we ever respond this way to God? And I told you I could really relate to Peter. And, you know, one moment I feel like I'm in this growth moment, leaning, just just learning from Christ, leaning into him, getting closer to him. I'm on this spiritual mountaintop, if you will. And then one step on my own terms and I am down the side of the mountain, taking every tree, squirrel, rock, raccoon with me on the way. That's what Peter does over and over. I can so relate to that. But in this coming, in every coming of age story, there is a pivotal moment. A moment where a decision must be made that will determine your path going forward. I think this is that pivotal moment for Peter's ministry. He just experienced this emotional tornado of a conversation with the risen Savior. And Jesus ends it abruptly with, look, we're going to keep this real simple. Follow me. And that's what Peter did. Now, I'm not saying Peter stopped making mistakes and he stopped doing and saying stupid things. Uh, you could check, check out Galatians 2 if you want to see some other maybe poor decisions that uh, Peter made going forward. But Peter went on to do great and amazing things for the Lord. Peter continued to work miracles through the power of Christ. In Acts 2, Peter preached a message with a 3,000-soul response. In Acts 4, Peter and John, the guy that he was worried about when he was talking to Jesus, they stood before court facing prison for preaching the gospel and for doing miracles and healing in Jesus' name. And you know what they said this time when they were asked about this Jesus guy? Acts chapter 4, starting with verse 18, says, Then they called them and commanded them not to speak or teach at all in the name of Jesus. But Peter and John answered them, Whatever is right in the sight of God to listen to you more than to God, you judge. For we cannot help but declare what we have seen and heard. When they had, when they had further threatened them, they let them go, finding no way to punish them because of the people. For all glorified God for what was done. Peter went from a broken, scared, afraid to even say that he knew Jesus kind of guy to an unashamed, unapologetic preacher of the good news of Jesus Christ. Threat of imprisonment, threat of death, he just couldn't help himself. He just had to tell others about Jesus. Now, if that's not a coming-of-age story, I don't know what is. 
And shortly after, and uh, right before he was martyred at the end of his life, uh, this is what Jesus foretold. Uh, Paul wrote, excuse me, Peter wrote in uh, the second letter of Peter, no doubt from this life experience that he had had, he says in chapter 3, verse 14, it says, Therefore, beloved, since you are waiting for these things, be diligent that you may be found in him in peace, spotless, and blameless. Speaking from experience, he continues in verse 17 and 18, You therefore, beloved, since you know these things beforehand, beware lest you also fall from your own firm footing, being led away by the deception of the wicked, but grow in grace and knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. To him be glory both now and forever. Amen. You know, Peter was an outspoken guy, rough around the edges. Uh, he spoke before he thought. He acted before he really considered the consequences. Uh, he had a bunch of hang-ups. He made a lot of bad decisions. I think he probably had ADD like I do, but I'm just saying. Um, but he loved Jesus. He loved him fiercely. And through all of his ups and downs and sideways, he ultimately submitted to his Savior and followed him. He fed his sheep. He tended his flock. He agape loved. The Peter that gave his life in service to Christ was different than the Peter that questioned the instructions to let down your nets. Jesus changed him. Has he changed you? Is he changing you. We see this progression through Peter's life. We see his growth. We see the struggles he overcame. We see with each counter that, encounter that he has with Christ, it's like the next version of Peter, the better version, the more in tune with Jesus version, the less about me, more about Jesus version. This progression didn't end with Peter's salvation experience. That's where it began. His progression ended when he had given all he could give and that was his life. So I ask you this morning, if your life was written into a coming-of-age television series, what season would you be on? Would you be in that beginning phase, just trying to figure out everything on your own? Maybe you've taken that first step with your relationship with Christ. You've had that salvation experience. You've accepted him as your savior. But uh, maybe season two is on hold because you have some sort of hang up. You have some sort of setback. Uh, you've really messed up bad. Somebody's offended you. Something like that is keeping you from continuing on in that service to God. Maybe someone told you from the beginning that it's going to be all smooth sailing from here. Whoever that was, they were wrong. If nothing else, it gets worse. And I don't mean that to be discouraging, but Jesus said himself, the world hated me, so they're going to hate you. Don't be surprised. But he also said, be of good cheer. I have overcome the world. So maybe you're in this season of restoration, this season of healing, trying to work on forgiveness, work through that. That's good. Keep praying, keep allowing God to restore you through his word. But if that's the season then you're in, that you're in, then you probably have a pivotal moment coming. A moment where you must decide if you're going to follow God, if you're going to trust him, if you're going to lean into him, or if you're going to get hung up on your hangups, if you're going to let these setbacks keep you from following Worried about this other person, what's going on over here, what's going on in my life here. 
I'll just have you remember the words of Jesus. He said, what is that to you? Follow me. What season are you in your life with Christ? In your Christ story, what season are you in? As Brother Bill comes and the praise team comes up, uh, regardless of what season you're in, um, I would like to talk with you about that. If you're, if, if you're in that beginning season, maybe you've never even started. Maybe you don't have that relationship with Christ. I want to talk to you. If, if you're worried, I will wear three masks and stand six feet away from you and still, and still talk to you, okay? If, you're, if you've already had that relationship with Christ, you have that relationship and you're dealing with a setback, a hang-up, uh, something like that, I'd love to talk with you about that. Forgiveness is offered through what Christ did on the cross. He's faithful and just to forgive us, cleanse us from all unrighteousness. So I'd love to speak with you about that and continue on in your service and this coming-of-age story that you have help you progress in that. Let's pray.